This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Thank you very much. I don't know what, what um, I didn't exactly understand. It sounded like that I got a lot of pets from a lot of people. It happens to be very true. That was my last year speech. So I'm going to speak today about relationships because relationships have to do with, of course, a person's relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which is the ultimate relationship. But the relationships before we get to that are relationships between people. If you don't know how to get along with another human being who you see, you hear, who you talk to, it's very hard to get along with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who not always are you able to see. So the first relationships that a person has in his life is the relationship with his parents. A baby is born, and that relationship, all he does is take. He doesn't give anything. His, his parents feed him. His parents clothe him. His parents change his diaper. His parents burp him. They do everything for him. He does nothing. It's the beginning of the relationship is just a relationship of taking, 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 taking. The next relationship, as a person grows a little bit bigger, is he begins to give back to his parents a little bit. He got a hundred on his Gemara test. He's davening nice. He's singing a good shakul by his bar mitzvah. So he's still taking a lot, but he starts to give back. And then he gets a chavrusa on yeshiva. He begins to have friends. And friends is a relationship of of give and take. You do for me, I do for you. You don't do for me, I don't do for you. It's also a relationship. Then he gets married. So the relationship in a marriage, in a zivug, is not give and take, that I give you and I take, because that's not a relationship. If I give you $100, I take it back. That's not a relationship. But a marriage, I spoke to the women a little bit about it when I was here last week. A marriage is give and give. Both sides give. There's no taking. We'll talk about that today. Once you come to a relationship of give and give, then you come to the ultimate relationship, which is having a child. Because really a parent doesn't want anything from the child. Just don't give me tsaras. I don't need, don't give me money. They don't buy you clothing. Don't give me any tsaras, but you don't, we don't want anything from our children. We just want to give and give and give. If a person had a choice between him living and his child living, there's no parent that would say it's more important that he lives. So when we have a child, we're givers. And that's the relationship that a Kurdish Baruch Hu has with us. Kurdish Baruch Hu doesn't need us to say Amen. Kurdish Baruch Hu doesn't need us to do mitzvahs. We need to do mitzvahs. We need to say Amen. Kurdish Baruch Hu is a giver. It's like a father giving to his child. So, from when you're born, you're just a taker. And when you have a child, you're just a giver. And there's a whole different bunch of relationships in between. Which leads me to a mission on Perkeyavos. One of the complaints, again, it's the Hasidic world, so it's a little bit different than the literature world. But I think it deep down, men are men and women are women, whether you're Hasidish or you're not Hasidish, 
the relationship between a husband and a wife is still a relationship. One of the complaints that women have is that their husbands don't compliment them. They don't compliment them. They don't say nice things to them. They don't say, today you look very beautiful. You, I am so happy that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me you as my zivug. How many men in this room did that ever come out of your mouth? That you told your wife, I am so thankful to Hashem that you are my zivug. I don't know if I ever said it. But women need to hear it. I'm so thankful to you. There's nobody in the world that makes a Shabbos, the food on Shabbos, like you do. I'm so thankful to you that you take care of my children so I could go learn and I could go daven and I could go to the Tish and you're busy home with the children. I care so much about it. I know, I don't know about the word love if you're allowed to use that word. Chesidish world, even though I don't really understand why that's a tray for word, we say it all the time in davening. Vahafta. Right? All the time. The word ahava is used in the Torah many times, and it's used in davening many times. So maybe we won't use the word love, but we'll use the word ahava. So I'm going to tell you a Mishnah. I don't talk psychology. That comes from the Goyim. It comes from the the, the guy who wrote psychology is the worst mushkis that ever lived. Everybody, that's his, he's the, the Rosh Hashiva of psychology. I'm not saying that good Jewish psychologists are not good. They are good. But Freud, right, we, he was a mushkis. He lived in the street. He was a mushkis. Everything that you want to know in psychology is in the Torah. Everything. Relationships, how to treat your children, it's all in the Torah. So I want to read you a mission in Pekia verse. The mission says the following. Who are you, Oimer, Rabbi Akiva? Chaviv, Adam. A person is special, is loved. Shenivra Betzelem. Because a human being is created in the Tzelem Elikim. Now listen to the Mishnah. Chiba Yisera. An extra Chiba. An extra love, noidas loy, is that a Kodesh Baruch Hu tells us shenivra b'tzelem, shenemaki b'tzelem aloykim asa asa adam. Just because a Kodesh Baruch Hu created us b'tzelem elokim, if He doesn't tell us that we're special, if He doesn't tell us that we're different, it's a chiba, but it's not a chiba yisera. Is mashma from this missioner from Rabbi Akiva? That Chiba Yisera comes from Shnoidas. If I, there's a poor person, he comes to my house, he mamish doesn't have any food. I find out he has a bank account with two dollars in it. I put a million dollars into his bank account. But I don't tell him that there's a million dollars in his bank account. So he has no idea, he hasn't looked at his bank account in 20 years. And he goes around and he's collecting tzedakah and he's wearing rags. So I had this with my class. Is he, is he a millionaire or is he not a millionaire? If he doesn't know he has the million and he's living like a poor man, is he a millionaire? Yeah, he's a millionaire. He has a million dollars in the bank. 
but he doesn't know he's a millionaire, so he's living like a poor person. Says the Mishnah, being created B'Tselem Aleikim, if you don't know it, it's Chiba, Hashem did us a favor. But Chiba Yaseira is when you tell someone that you're special. It's a Mishnah, not psychology, not in a marriage book. Chiba Yaseira Shneidas Lo. The Chiba Yaseira is when you tell the person, I am so happy that you are my Zivug. I am so happy that you're the person who's, take, who's bringing up my children. You look good. We're going to a wedding. You look nice. You look like a tsnua, but you're very beautiful to me. Now, your wife, your wife you're going to go home from this Chavez. Your wife's going to hear that. She's going to go, Wallerstein spoke to you? Like what? Like... It's not a bad thing, especially in our day and age. Listen to me. Heiliger mentioned, listen to me carefully. There's so many Goyim out there that all wives come in contact, whether it's in a store, or it's an Uber driver, or a taxi driver, or the FedEx guy, or the UPS guy. There's so many Goyim that don't have a problem telling our wives, you're really beautiful. Because the Goyim only have one thing on their mind. And if she never hears it from her husband, she never hears that she's special. It gives a koyach to the wrong people who compliment her. It's very important. It's not me. The mission says it. Of course, in a tzniyistic and nice way. As the same thing with your children. You have to compliment your children. I don't come from the chevra that says compliment them when they're doing something wrong. Anyone who listens to my shirim know I am totally don't compliment someone when they're doing something wrong because they're going to keep doing it, keep doing something wrong. Right? The first time you ate by your mother-in-law on Shabbos and the the, the the kugel that she made tasted miserable, and you're like, I never tasted such kugel. And then every Shabbos she sends to your house that kugel. Don't tell someone that's that you, that what you don't like or something that someone's doing wrong that you like it and it's okay because you're only hurting them if someone comes to the doctor and his bone is broken on his shoulder right and the doctor tells him nah don't worry about it you'll be okay he's going to grow up with his arm like this you did him a favor so it's going to hurt when you put the bone back together it's going to hurt and he's going to scream and you're going to put it in a cast and it's going to hurt but at least he can be able to use his arm again I don't come from a place of complimenting wrong things but if you don't compliment wrong things, make sure you compliment right things. So with our children, they also need the Chibi Yisera. That I davened from when I'm a, a younger bacher to have a child. And you're that child that I davened for. And focus on the positive, just like with a wife, focus on the positive. I'll tell you a, a, a kash in the Gemara, I'll never forget this. You know the Gemara says... That there are three reasons to divorce a wife. Chas v'shalom. Right? One reason is, if there's a dover not nice about her, so you're allowed to, you're allowed to give her a divorce. Right? One reason is, if she burns the food, you're allowed to give her a divorce. Rabbi Akiva says, that if you don't like the way she looks, 
you're allowed to give her a divorce. Frey Chazal, Rabbi Akiva is the one who said, just because she's not pretty, you're allowed to give her a divorce. The shtarka kasha for Rabbi Akiva, because she's not pretty. That's what counts, what a person looks like. Inside, she's an amazing person. Rabbi Akiva? Her in Neuidika Teretz. And the Teretz is Azai. I think it's Beishil or Beishamai Rabbi Akiva. One holds, if you burn the food, you're allowed to give her a divorce. So if she's walking around and she's getting a divorce, everybody in the neighborhood is saying, this lady, she doesn't know how to cook. She always burns the food. She's going to be very embarrassed. According to, I think it's Beishamai says, that there's a terrible thing about her, that she, maybe she was over a big avarice, right? There's a double gunway on her. So everyone's going to say, why she get divorced? <laughs> Basilel says, or Beishamai says, because she did a big avera with another man. Came along Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva said, Oive, any woman who gets divorced, people are going to be talking bad about her. Either she burnt the food, or she did a, a terrible avera. Rabbi Akiva said, I'm going to come out and say that if a husband doesn't like the way his wife looks, he's allowed to give her a divorce. Therefore, if a woman gets divorced, they're not going to blame it on her. They're going to blame it on him. What a chaya. What a behemoth. Divorced his wife because she's not pretty. He married her. He knew she wasn't pretty. He's the one that has problems. So Rabbi Akiva was sensitive that even if a woman gets divorced, people should think that it's the man that's the Meshuggah, not the woman that's committed adultery or burnt the food. And that's the terrorist to that Gemara. Otherwise, why would Rabbi Akiva say that? We're very careful not to hurt the other people in our lives. Our children need positive reinforcement. I want to tell you all the story. I'm a Rebbe. I'm a Rebbe in a classroom. I was a Rebbe for 30 years. Kitaches. At the same time that I was a Rebbe, I was the assistant principal in, in this school called Crown Heights Yeshiva. There was a boy in third grade. Maybe some of you had such boys in your class. Dirty. His tits is hanging out in the back. His, his, his briefcase had food in it that, that was ready penicillin. The bread was green. It was old. His clothing smelled. He wasn't taken care of. And he, he just mitchered everybody. Just mitchered you. Just didn't leave you alone. So the kids in the class hated him. Really hated him. His teacher didn't like him. He, he did very bad. He was at that point about a 30, 40 student. And the rule in our school was that before you throw a child out, principal, assistant principal, all the Hebrew teachers, all the English teachers have to sit in a room like a bezdin and everybody has to sign off to get rid of the kid. And if one teacher can find something good, we don't throw him out. And we should have had the rule that Bezdin has, that if everyone is willing to throw him out, right, all 71, he's probably putter, because you probably missed something. But that was our rule, everybody had to sign off. So, English department, Hebrew department, the principal, everybody signed off, get him out of school, he bothers people, he, 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 whatever, I don't want to say what happened in the classroom. He didn't make it to the bathroom, just, just one of those kids, I, just, just send him somewhere else. I said, 
Give me two weeks to change him. If in two weeks I don't change him, I sign on the paper. But I'm not signing on the paper unless you give me two weeks. Two weeks, he's already six years in the school, two years in kindergarten. Like, what's going to change? Into- give me two weeks, a true story. Save terror behind me. Two weeks. Okay. I take this kid downstairs by lunch. We had lunch at 11.30. I'm sitting next to him. I say, listen, Chaim, I want to tell you a Torah, and it's really something that I teach eighth graders, but because you're so smart, I'm going to teach it to you. And I sat next to him, and I told him a Rashi. I told him how many names Yisro had. Yisro, Yeser, Uel, the whole thing, Butiel. I sat next to him. One day, two days, three days, four days, five days. All I told him is that Yisro, the only, it wasn't his only name. He had seven names. That's all I told him. I tried to tell him the names, but he could not remember the names. Anyway, this is going on for like a week. After a week, I come into the classroom. Now, recess is like Ganeiden. No, it's more than Ganeiden. For these kids, 15 minutes recess, it's like, forget about it. It's, 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 there's nothing you could give a child in third grade. Food, money, a car, that's more important than he'll trade it in for recess. So I come into the classroom. I, I see myself, I walked into the classroom. Teacher said, I've seen everything okay? I'm like, yeah, you know what? I want to give out some extra credit this week as assistant principal. I want to get the kids into it. I'm going to ask the class a question. If anyone in this class gets the, the answer correct, 15 minutes extra recess for a week. It's, it's bigger than Ghanaian. It's bigger than Mashiach. It's bigger than anything you can imagine. And they're like, what? Yes, I said. You have recess at 10.30 instead of 10.30 to a quarter to 11. A week of 10.30 to 11. And they're like, okay, okay, what's the question? What's the question? And I'm hoping that this kid remembers what I taught him for a week. And I get up in front of the class, and they're they're not up to Yisrael, they're not even close. And I'm like, did Yisrael have any other names besides Yisrael? Didn't even know who Yisrael was, they're in Barajah somewhere. So kids are raising their hand. Moshe, was his name? Moshe? Avraham. Everyone's raising their hand. And this kid, Chaim, is in the back. And he's sitting there like a dummy. And he's not raising his hand. And I'm like, I worked so hard to do this. What's wrong with him? They all answered wrong. I walked to the back of the class. I said, Chaim! Yes, Rabbi Wallerstein. I'm like, did you hear my question? No, I wasn't listening. And the kids are like, Wallace, why are you asking him? He's stupid. That's what they said. He's stupid. Why are you asking him? I'm like, hey, you never know. Chaim, listen to my question. Did Yisro have another name? (laughs) He looks at me, he doesn't answer. I'm like, did Yisro have another name? Uh, I'm, yes! He had seven other names, seven names. 
And I turn around to the class, and they're all looking at me. I'm like, a week of extra recess, guys! Chaim's right! They jumped out of their chairs. I'm sure you never watched football, right? But they all jumped on this poor Chaim in the back, banging him. I don't believe it! Extra recess! The teacher's looking at me. Yeah. Yeah, Wallerstein, I know what you did. To watch that little boy for that moment being on top of the world he knew the answer and no one else did it was probably the greatest moment of my life I never did for someone more than I did for that kid they were all his best friend he got them recess they let him play he began to learn he began to believe in himself by the end of third grade, he was getting 50s. By the time he finished my class, which was eighth grade, he was getting 70s. And he stood at graduation with all the other boys, and he got a diploma. What, what happened? What was the change? What happened? Chaviva Yaseira Shandaydalach. I gave him the answer to a question. A father told his son, I love you. I daven for you. You're special. Even when I'm in the basement of learning, I think about you. When a child realizes that his father cares about him and his father tells him that he loves him, you can take a 20 student and make him into a genius. The Mishnah says that the Chiba Yisera that we have is Shinivri B'Tselem. I want to talk about that for a second. And I want you to tell this to your wives and to your children and to yourself. What's made Tselem Aleikim? Does any of us look like Hashem? Tselem comes from the word Tsel, the shadow. A shadow can only take the shape of the thing that it's shadowing. If you have a round ball and you have a shadow, it can't be square. If you have a square, it can't be round. Whatever the shadow is of, it's the same shape. Sometimes when you're walking in the street, it's a long one, it's a short little fat one, but it has two hands, a head and feet. That doesn't change. What does it mean that we're all created but selling like him? What about us Mirrors Hashem. There's only one thing. And we say it in Kriyashma. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is one. Every person in this room, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Meir Echad, Sruli Echad, Yoel Echad. Every one of us is one. There is no other one. Even if you're a Gilgal, you want to get into Gilgulim, Gilgulim is a mixture. But that mixture only comes to the world once. Moshe Rabbeinu was a Gilgal of Hevel. But he wasn't Hevel. He was a Gilgal of Noach. But he wasn't Noach. Kairach was a Gilgal of Cain. But he wasn't Cain. 
So every single person in this room, there's only one of you, your fingerprints, no one else in the world has. At the same time, it's naivetic that there's only one of you. It's amazing. You're godly, like HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There's one HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and there's one Yehuda, and there's one mayor. We're mamash like HaKadosh Baruch Hu. At the same time, it's amazing. If you don't live up to your potential, you will never get another chance. It's not like, okay, in my life, I didn't reach what I was supposed to. But I was here last time. You weren't here last time. A different combination. But I'll come back in a hundred years, and I'll fix it. No, you'll come back mixed with other ones. You are only one. And that's the Chiba Yisera. That Akash Baruch didn't make us like animals. Animals don't have fingerprints. There's a million of animals and there's schools of fish. Everyone in this room that you're here for the last three days, there's only you. And if you look in the mirror, you're going to look at a Tzalem Kim because it's only you. And you have to look and say, am I who I'm supposed to be? Because I'm not getting another chance. That's it. It's me. No one else. It's not Gaiva. It's Tzalem Kim. It's not Gaiva. Just the opposite. It's a crazy responsibility. And if I hurt somebody in my life, I'm the only one that can fix it. And if I'm the vato, and if I'm not doing a shmir, say nayim, whatever I'm doing wrong, I'm the only one that can fix it. No one can fix it for me. No rebbe, no rebbe, nobody. I have to fix it because there's only me. And people make that mistake. Okay, so no, what's the end of the world? Yes, it's the end of the world. You're not getting another chance. This is it. At the same time, what a chiba yaseira. The chiba yaseira is that I'm a tzelam, I'm, a, I'm, I'm me. I could do anything. I could save the world. I could change the world. I can make a bracha. I have such a koyach. We're so busy with the other people. I want to be like him. I want to be like her. I want, I'll tell you a funny story. I'll tell you a very funny story. So there was this shikr. And every night, while his wife was sleeping... He would go to the bar and he would get drunk. Finally, she said, Finito, that's it, finished, no more. She said to him, If you do this one more time, I'm going to divorce you. He said, No, no, no. I'm stopping, I'm stopping, I'm not, you know, I'm not drinking anymore. But he had a Yetzirah to drink. She goes to sleep and he sneaks out of the house and he goes to the bar and he drinks. And he gets a little drunk and he remembers, Ive, tomorrow morning, my wife's gonna smell that I drank, she's gonna divorce me. So he doesn't know what to do. So he comes home and he gets a pitcher of water and he figures if he drinks the whole pitcher of water, she won't smell the alcohol on his breath. So he's got this pitcher of water and he's drinking half of it, now he's going upstairs and he trips and the pitcher breaks and the water spills all over the steps and the glass from the pitcher cuts his face. A lot of pieces hit his face and he's bleeding from his face and he's like, Oye, what am I going to do? How am I going to explain it to her? So he, he runs to the bathroom. He's pretty drunk and he looks at his face, cuts in his forehead all over the place. Mom, 50 cuts. And, and, and he doesn't know what to do and he says, okay, let me see if I have band-aids and there's a box of 100 band-aids and he puts the band-aids on all the different cuts and he cleans up the floor and he says, you know what, tomorrow morning when I wake up and she says, what happened to you? I'm going to say, you see, I went downstairs to get water. I didn't go to the bar and I fell. Perfect excuse. He's good. 
going to take a minute to understand the story. Just going to take a second for you to understand it, but it takes everybody a second. Next morning, she wakes up. Get out of my house! You drunk! Get out of my house! I'm going straight to Besden. We're getting divorced today. He's like, what? What are you talking about? I didn't drink. I, 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 he remembers. I, I, I had, a, I had a thing, a pitcher of water, and I was coming up the steps, and I fell, and it broke all over the place. And if I, I didn't go to the bar, I went downstairs to the kitchen to get water. Why are you doing this? He says, "You didn't go to the bar to drink." You sure? I listened to you. I just went to get water. She goes, really? You sure? Promise. I didn't go to drink. Really? Come here. Get out of bed. He gets out of bed. Come into the bathroom. He comes into the bathroom. And there are 50 band-aids on the mirror. Takes a minute. So, yeah, if, for those who didn't get it, he bandaged the reflection in the mirror instead of his face. And that's what a lot of us do. Instead of fixing who we are, we're, be- we're very busy fixing what everybody else thinks of us. We're busy taking care of our reflection. Instead of taking, putting the band-aids on our face, we're putting band-aids on the mirror. And that's a person who's shikr. That's a person who doesn't chap, a person who doesn't understand. The first person you need to look at is yourself. And you have to wake up every morning and say, there's only going to be one of me today. What am I going to do about it? My chavrusa can't do what I do. My friend my wife, my mother, my father, nobody in this world can do what I do. And that's how you have to wake up and that's how you have to start your day. In Pasha's Vayera, I'm going to read you a chidot today. The most emails I ever got in my life from Rabbanim was on this chidot and it has to do with bringing up children. They could not believe that the Chidot said it. It's this week's Parsha. I'm going to get to it in a minute. But I want to go to Vayera for a second. In Parsha's Vayera, it says the following. Vayisa Enav. Abraham Avinu lifted up his eyes. Vayar, and he saw. There were three men standing in front of him. Vayar, he saw. Vayar, and he ran to meet them. Vipesach ohel from the Pesach of the Ohel, and he bowed down. So it's a very, very shver Pesach. If he saw them standing in front of them, how could it be that he saw and he ran to them? If they're standing in front of you, you can't run to them. It should have said he ran to them and they were in front of him, the other way around. And why does it say Vayar twice? It says Vayar, but you say a Vayar, and then it says Vayar again. And this is from a shir that I give very often called the second look. One of the problems in relationships is that we take a look at somebody and we make a decision on what we see right away. This person's not dressed correctly. 
this guy doesn't look like the one the way he should. We make a decision right away. Says the Pasik, the first seeing, the first Vayar, needs of Allah. All you're gonna see is the person in front of you. But if you want to understand who the person is, the second Vayar, the second look, He's able to run to meet them. I do a lot of Kirov. There are a lot of kids. You know, on your block in Borough Park, there's this Hasidish girl, and she's mamish not dressed, sneezed at all. She even has a piercing in her nose. And you turn to your wife and you say, Oi, Nebuch, Nebuch. Nebuch on those parents. Oh, look what happened to their kid. Nebuch on their parents. That's the first look. The second look is, why would a Hasidish girl look like that? What's going on in her life? What'd she go through? What happened to her? You don't just wake up in the morning and decide to get dressed like that. The second Vayar, Vayarach Likrasam, you run to the parents of this girl and you tell them, listen, I don't know your daughter. And I'm not judging your daughter because I don't know what happened to her. Could you give me her Hebrew name? And could you give me, you're her mother, could you give me your name? I want to dial them for her. She looks like she's in a lot of pain. How many of us in this room have ever done that? How many of us in this room have ever seen a boy, a Siddush boy, off the derech, Mechal Shabbos? How many of us went to the parents and said, listen, I'm not a therapist, and I don't know how to talk to kids that are off the derech and they're angry. It's not my thing. Could you give me your son's name and his mother's name? So that when I go down into the mikvah under the water in a place before the world was created, because that's the whole din of mikvah, that it's the Mayim above and the Mayim together, when they're together is the Fneha Ilam, before the world was created. And therefore, when a person's in a mikvah, he's in a place before Chait. So his Kavanas in the mikvah go straight. There's no Chait, there's nothing in a mikvah. That's why you have to have Mayim from, the, from Gishamim says the Zayar, and Mayim from the Aretz, and they mix together, and that is Lifnei, the separation before Kosh created the world. And you're in the mikvah, and you're having kavanas, your family, children, marriage, whatever your kavanas are. And what about this kid? Because there's no second Vayar. It's Vayar, oh, keep this guy away from my kids. But Abraham Avinu, there was a second Vayar. And the second Vayar, Vayarot Shlokrasam. The Rambam says, don't bother talking to people who are Mechal Shabbos. Daven for them. He had a Talmud that was totally off the derech. He did whatever he could, the Kavayosha says. He couldn't change him. Then he went ahead and he davened for him and he totally changed him. Who in this room can't daven for a kid who's off the derech? Or a girl that's off the derech? You think their parents will be angry at you? No. I want to daven for your kid. I'm not talking to your kid. I'm not judging your kid. I want to daven for your kid. I daven for my kid. I want to daven for your kids. That's relationship. That's the second, the second vayar. And we, with our own children, with our own children, you have a kid who comes home and he's learning with his father and he doesn't know the Gemara that well. So that's the first vayar. What do you mean? 
I, these parents always come to me and they're like, you know, my, 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 my child is in, in therapy and he's on medicine. Should I take him off the medicine or should I keep him on the medicine? I'm like, tell me a little bit about your child. Well, he came home the other day with a 50 on his Gemara final. I said, so what did you do when he walked into the house? I said to the mother. She said, I started screaming. I said, what did you scream? Do you know what your father worked three jobs so he can have a chabrusa for you and a tutor for you? He's going to have a heart attack. I'm going to show him a 50 after everything he does. And your sister, you think she's going to get, she's going to get a shidduch? All the people, all the parents of, of the kids in the class that know that you get a 50 are going to think that the whole family is stupid. Your sister's never going to get married. And I'm going to talk to my friend. She has a kid in the class and she's going to know that you got a 50. I'm like, the kid is only taking a little medicine? You better give him a lot of medicine. He's walking around. First of all, he got a 50. You think a kid doesn't know he got a 50? All the rabbeim that write failing on the paper, then the chesed in the next world, you don't want them to write failing on your paper. The kid knows he failed if he got a 50. You don't have to write failing. He comes home, he knows he didn't do well. You think kids don't know what's going on? They know what's going on. So he walks out home, and he walks out of the room, and he's like... I failed. I killed my father. My sister will never get married. And my mother has no friends. Now, Wallerstein, how come my child has anxiety? I don't know. But if I was that child, I would be on a lot of medicine. So I tell the parent, he got a 50 on the test. Did you ever sit down and look at the 50 he got right? Anybody ever forherit his kid? There's a lot of, lot of men in here thinking, why didn't Rabbi Wallace talk to my father when I was young? <laughs> you know, but you know before Mincha and Shabbos when you had to say the Gemara, right? You came into the room like this. Where's your Gemara? Uh, so he doesn't know the whole Gemara, but what about the two lines that he does know? So I told the mother, look at the 50% he got right. When you read those questions, like, okay, let's see what you got right. Hey, number four wasn't so hard. Number three was much harder. I know, Ma, I wasn't really thinking. Next, next time, maybe think a little bit more. You're learning Gemara with a kid. He knows one line in Gemara. One line. How do you know that line? How do you know that Rashi? Ta. One Rashi, one piece of Gemara. I want to know how you know that Rashi in that Gemara. Because the next line in the Gemara is much harder, much easier. And the kid looks at his father and his heart opens up and his soul opens up. And he wants to hear more. But if you just scream at him about the 50% he got wrong, he just closes up and all he hears is be, 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 be. He doesn't hear a word you're saying. The relationship is based on the good. I'm not, don't make up good. If he didn't know the Gemara, don't tell him that the, you said the Gemara well. You didn't. And he's going to keep saying the same mistake if you don't tell him, I, I, my Bar Mitzvah Pasha was Balak. And I used to always say, and it was Vayakatsmoav. And my father said, you have to stop cutting. And he corrected me, and he corrected me, and he corrected me, and sometimes his hand corrected me, not his voice. So don't tell someone who's doing something wrong that it's right. But if he's doing something right, if your wife is doing something right, if your child is doing something right, praise them for it. And last but not least, if you're doing something right, and you look in the mirror, the second look, the first look you look at, like, what? What am I doing? I'm not successful in this and that. Take a second look. Take a look at the things that you are doing right. 
focus on the positive. If you focus on the positive, you'll grow. Atzvus is the biggest weapon of the Satan. Not Shmir Senayim. Atzvus. Because once you go into Atzvus and there's no Simcha in your life, you're finished. You're not a Kali to be a Makabal Torah, Mitzvah, or Tfilah, or anything. And Atzvus comes from focusing on the negative. Focus on the positive. And do more positive. And the negative, you have to do tshuva. Whatever you have to do. But that's not your focus. I was sitting in the car. I don't know how many of you drive, but I saw there was a lot of minivans on my way up here. Couldn't find a spot. I had a kid sitting in my car, a drug addict. And he keeps trying to get better. And he keeps trying to get better. It's already three years. And he's sitting in my car. He's like, Rabbi Wallenstein, I just can't go forward. I'm always thinking about what I did in my past. And I'm sitting in the car and I said, you know something? In every car, there's a rear view mirror. You know that little rear view mirror when you want to back up? But if you want to drive forward by looking in the rear view mirror, you're going to crash into everything. The rear view mirror, you're supposed to look every once in a while just to know exactly where you are. But you can't drive forward looking in the rear view mirror because you can't see anything in front of you. When you drive forward, you have to look through the windshield. So many of us are so busy looking in the rear view mirror what I did, what I was, what I didn't do, how I'm not successful. You're crashing all over the place. Stop looking in the mirror. Look in the windshield. Look what's ahead of you. Compliment the people around you. Then they're going to compliment you. Your children are going to compliment you. Your wife's going to compliment you. And there's no man in this world. And I told it to them last week. There's no man in this world that doesn't do better when his wife compliments him. When he's leaving to Yeshiva or he's leaving to Davin and she says, I just want you to know that I'm proud that you're a Tamachacham. I'm proud that you're learning. And you happen to look very cute also. And the guy's going to Yeshiva like, whoa! My wife actually appreciates that I'm learning. Instead of going to Yeshiva like, I hope you don't come home today. You can't learn like that, coming out of a fight. You can't learn. There's no Kaylee. So the more you compliment your children, your wife, yourself, everybody in the family becomes happy. When everyone in the family becomes happy, there's a Kaylee in the house to be Makabo Ruchnius. Everybody's so miserable today. I walked through Flatbush with somebody and I showed him. Not one person smiled at me. I said, good job, good job, good job. Like, what did I do to you? I didn't, I didn't borrow money from you. What? Everybody's in a rush. Everyone's going. And half of them drank already. They're still not smiling. Nobody's happy. Everybody's miserable. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough covet. I don't, I don't like my wife. All oh, my kids are not doing well. Everyone is miserable. And then you don't understand why kids are off to derech. They're growing up in a miserable house. So to them, Yiddishkeit equals miserable. My father's angry. My mother's angry. My brother's angry. Everybody's angry. Everybody's learning. Everybody's davening. They're all angry. I don't want to live in a world of angry. So I'll do drugs. He thinks it's a world of happy. It's not a world of happy. But that's what he thinks. You spent, you spent a whole Shabbos here. You sang and Zmiris and everything that you did. You got to bring that home. When was the last time you stayed up till 5 o'clock in the morning with your family? Yeah, I came in today, Rabbi. An hour late, you have to wait. Why? They were all up till 4, 5 o'clock in the morning. Very nice. Singing mirrors, beautiful. Lama Malka, amazing. When was the last time you were up at 5 o'clock with your wife? 
talking and singing or your kids. But if you don't take this home, you wasted three days. Felt good, no? To be up till five o'clock with the boys and singing, you were happy, no? If you don't have that happiness in your family, we have work to do. Why can't we sit with our kids? Still sit. They'll be glad to be up till five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, because Rabbi Wallace in five o'clock in the morning, how's he going to go to Yeshiva the next day? He'll go a little bit late, but he'll go very happy. He'll go a little bit late, but he'll go very happy. You know what? A little bit late and very happy, he'll learn more today than he learned in the last two years. Because he's happy. If you're happy, you get up in a different way. Vayar, the second look. Vayarach lakrasam. The second look gives you the ability to run to meet them. I want to end. I don't want to end. I have to end. There's another speaker. With two things. One, a medjish tanchuma in this week's parsha, which will give everybody a chizik. And being that we're talking about children, the chida. The chida. So I said this chida by a shir. And I realized by the shir, when everybody was looking at me, the way they were looking at me, that this is not going to be accepted by many people. And um, I sent out a lot of emails to G'daylum and to other people that heard the shir, or that their Talmudim brought in the shir, and they could not believe the chidot says it, but the chidot says it, and it's in this week's parsha. Parsha by Yetzay. The chidot says the following. So when Akash Baruch was t- talking to Yaakov Avinu in his dream, and we know why his dream was in the ladder. Why wasn't it on a ladder? Why wasn't it on steps? Why wasn't it on a road to Shemayim? Why wasn't it on a ramp to Shemayim? You think Malachim are firemen? You think they're going up and down a ladder? What's the sulam? Okay, sulam and gematria. Mama, different story, but what's the sulam? And the answer is that a ladder is the only thing that whether you're going up the ladder or you're going down the ladder, you're looking up. When you walk down a road, you look down. When you walk down steps, you look down. When you walk down a ramp, you look down. But when you, when you go up a ladder, you climb the ladder, you look up. When you go down the ladder, you look up. You're always looking up. Because if you turn around, you're going to fall up the ladder. So the ladder is the only thing, that whether you're going up or down, you have to look up. And what does it say? What's the ladder leaning on? HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore, it's to teach Yaakov Avinu, you're going to have a hard time. D, uh, what's going to happen to Dina should never happen to anyone's daughter. What's going to happen to Yosef should never happen to anyone. To, to anyone's son. What happened to Rachel Imenu that she died young? Yaakov Avinu, you are going to be going down the ladder. There will be things in your life that are not going to be very happy things. But you need to know that it's a ladder. And when there's a ladder, whether you go up or down, you always have to look up. And who's on top of the ladder? So in this parsha, when Baruch Hu introduces himself for the first time to Yaakov Avinu, Pe'el Peh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says the following, Who am I? Elokei Avraham, Avicha, I am the God of Avraham, your father, Elokei Yitzchak, and I am the God of Yitzchak. Frek the Chida, Tema, Shekara leziknoi Aviv, Hashem calls Avraham, Avicha, Ula Aviv, and to Yitzchak, like Karaav. He doesn't even call him his father. Elokei Avram Avicha, Elokei Yitzchak, doesn't say Avicha. Nira Lee says the Chida. Lefishi Yaakov Hoye Bechai Avram, Yaakov lived 
while his grandfather Avram was alive. And they will, they used to learn together. And they were very close. Say these, you can learn with your grandchildren. Don't give up that you're finished with your chinuch. You never finished with your chinuch. My father, Oliver Shalom, died 17 years ago. And a few years before he died, he said to me, I just want to let you know, if you think that after I die, I'm not going to be mechanic to you, if you do something wrong, I'm going to come to you in a dream. And I'll give you a clap in the dream. So he said, my chinuch is never over. Baruch Hashem, he hasn't come in the dream yet and give me a clap. And because, listen carefully, this is Hashem talking. Because that's what's written in the Pasuk. Because Avram Avinu loved Yaakov, his grandson, so much. He called him his son. If you call your grandson your son because you love him so much, Therefore, Kodesh Baruch Hu called Avram Avinu his father. This part nobody sent me emails about. But the next part they did. Avol Yitzchak, but Yitzchak, Shahaya Oyev, Ace of Harasha, who loved Ace of Harasha, Yosemi Menu, more than Yaakov. Lo, Karu Akarj Baruchu Aviv. As far as Hashem was concerned, if in this world you don't love your child the way you're supposed to, in Hashem's world you're not called his father. And he quotes a Rishon, Rabbeinu Ephraim, Bixivas Yad. You hear what's going on here? Kershbochu introduces himself to Yaakov and he says, Avraham, your father, because Avraham called him his son, and Yitzchak he didn't say Avicha. Because Yitzchak showed more love to Esau than he showed to Yitzchak. Which means, I was very excited about this, Chidah, because it means that if you help other children that are not your children, but you consider them like your child and you call them Bini, my son, my daughter, then in Shemayim, even though they're not blood relatives, they're considered by Hashem as your son and your daughter. Kayach of a person to be able to help someone else. To find out that kid who's off the derech, what his name is, and to daven and cry for him like you'd cry from your own child, as far as HaKadosh Baruch Hu is concerned, he is your child. She is your child. And he will listen to your tefillah like you're davening for your own child. Chida, I didn't write this. In the Medjitan Chuma, in Pashas Vayera, says something along these lines. By the Akeda, Hashem says, doesn't say take Yitzchak, right? He says like this, Kachna es bincha, take your son. Amalau, Abraham Avinu says to Hashem, Ezeb ben, which son? Which one? Yishmael or Yitzchak? Amalau, Ezechitcha, take your only son. Amalau, Zeyachid liimo, Zeyachid liimo. He's an only one to Hagar, he's an only one to Sarah. Hashem, I don't know what you're talking about. Amalau, Asha'ahafta, take the son that you love. Amalau, Abraham Avinu said, Shneemani Ahev. I love both of them. Amalau, Agashbochu says to him, Asha'ahafta Harbe. Okay, let's stop playing games. Take the one you love more than the other. Amalau, Abraham Avinu says to Hashem, 
וכי יש גבול במעיים? This Medjish Tanchuma wasn't for Abraham Abinu, it was for us. There's no kid that you love more. There's no special child that I have more. Everyone, says Abraham Abinu, there's enough love in a father and mother's heart to love every single one of their kids. The one that's on the derech, the one that's off the derech, the one that's a tamachacham, the one that's not such a tamachacham, the one that has a good voice, the one that has no voice. There's no such thing. This was Yishmael. He's talking about Yishmael before he did tshuva. There's no room in my heart to love Yitzchak, the Tzaddik, the Karban. There's no room to love Yishmael, the Rasha, as much. It's a lesson for us, not for Abraham Avinu. Hashem could have said as Yitzchak right away. Relationships. It's like children. They're our future. Our wife is our future. Ourselves is our future. And this week's Pasha by Yetzay. Yaakov Avinu has a dream. It's a very hard Medrash Tanchuma to understand. But he has a dream and Hashem comes to him in this dream of the latter. And it says the following. Malamed HaGashbohu showed Yaakov Avinu the Sar of Bavel on the ladder. Oile, he went up and after 70 years we already threw him off. Madai, Oila, he got up, but Yahweh Hashem threw him off. Yavon, he got up, Hashem threw him off. Edom, he got up, Hashem threw him off. All of them made it up the ladder, 70 years, 100 years. Hashem said to Yaakov, Yaakov, Loma en why aren't you going on to the ladder? Yaakov became very scared. Just like they got thrown off. I'm also going to get thrown off. Hashem said to Yaakov in his dream, If you get on the ladder, you have my word, I will not throw you off. He didn't believe Hashem, Yaakov Avinu, and he didn't get on the ladder. Says the Mufarshim, what do you mean? Hashem, if Hashem told me to get on the ladder, I'd get on the ladder. What do you mean he didn't believe? He felt that to get on the ladder and not get thrown off, you'd have to do tshuva. And he didn't feel that Klaiso would ever be on the level that they would be such tzaddikim that they would never get thrown off. So therefore he said, I know Hashem, you hold very much of your children, but that they're going to be so perfect, I don't want them to get thrown off. Rabbi Shmuel ben Yosina HaYedayrish B'choldais Chatu even though he had this chesed, it was a sin. He didn't believe in Hashem's miracles. Hashem said to Yaakov, Had you gone on to the ladder, you would have believed in me? I would have never let Christ go into Golos. But because you didn't believe in me, and you didn't believe in them, and you didn't believe that they would do tshuva and they would state tzaddikim, the, the five 
Bavel and Esav and all of them that you stone thrown off, Klaishol is going to be under their gullus. That's the punishment for not getting off the ladder. All of us have gotten on the ladder this Shabbos. Hashem says, just get on the ladder. Just try to change. Just believe that no matter whether you're going up or down, because Baruch Hu's on top and the ladder is leaning on Him. Take the second look in the mirror about who you are. You're only one. You're the only one. Hashem is never going to create another one of you. Look in the mirror. Not the first time, but look at the guy on the second time. The person who's changing. The person who's trying. The person who's taking on himself certain things to change. We all have that kayach. I have three minutes left, I think. I started an hour, 57 minutes ago. So I'm going to leave you with this. I don't think I ever said this story here. It is the number one or two stories that I've said in the last 20 years. It's a no ridiculous story. And this is how you have to leave this, this Shabbos. And it's a true story. I have a student that went to law school to become a lawyer. And one of his classes, the professor was giving a class called Coach Your Client. Tell your client what you have up your sleeve, what you're going to do. And he told the following story, and I'll tell it to you fast. It's a long story, but I'll tell it to you fast. So there was a a murder of a 17-year-old girl, and they accused a very big, powerful politician. Now they're accusing politicians for a lot of stuff, but they accused politician as, as the murderer, and the politician needed a lawyer, so there was one lawyer in the United States that never, ever, O.J. Simpson, never, ever lost a case. But he took $5 million as a retainer. But this politician had a lot of money. And he didn't want to go to jail. So he hired the $5 million lawyer, very famous lawyer. And he figured, I have nothing to worry about. On the other side, the prosecution. So they have these assistant DAs, these lawyers. And it goes by Goyrol. And the guy that got the case by Goyrol was a young, brand new lawyer. Tried maybe five cases, and now he's going up against the biggest of the big. No chance. New York Times, everybody wrote, no chance. This guy is definitely going to walk free. He's got the lawyer. This assistant DA is a nobody. So they come the first day, which I'll tell you very fast. They come the first day of the, of the thing, of the court case, and the prosecutor the D, assistant DA gets up and he's, he's asking a witness, what time did you hear the screams from the room? She says, 11 o'clock. You sure? She says, yes, it was 11 o'clock. Terrible screams from a young girl. He says, okay, sit down. The $5 million lawyer gets up. Everybody's watching him. And he says, let me see your watch. What kind of watch is this? Timex. Timex, how much does it cost? $14. Oh, it's a cheap watch. Maybe it wasn't 11 o'clock. Maybe it was 11.01. Could it have been 11.01? person says, the witness says, maybe it was 1101. Okay, 1101 maybe. Not 11. I rest my case. What? He's of course examining a watch. This goes on for a week. The five million dollar lawyer is making chizik of the whole case. No one understands what's going on. The assistant DA, he's got all these proofs and alamices and he's beginning to be like very full of himself. Like he might win this case. And the New York Times is writing, we don't understand. It, it looks like maybe the man had a stroke. Maybe he cracked up. The five million dollar lawyer, he's losing the case. He's not saying anything smart. 
And Nebuch, the poor politician sitting there, I gave this guy five million dollars. He's an idiot. He's, he's stupid. He doesn't know what he's doing. Comes the last day, the case is now closed, and the judge turns to the to the prosecutor, the assistant today, who now thinks he's got the case, he's going to win, and it's called they have to close. Each one of them has to call summation, where they give their case to the jury. So he turns around to the jury and he says, "That man sitting there, so and so." Murdered a 17 year old girl. She'll never go to the prom. She'll never get married. She'll never have children. I, you must find him guilty of murder. He has to go to jail for life without probation. And he's screaming and he's yelling, and everyone's like, Yeah, gotta put this guy away. Murdered a 17 year old girl. And the jury themselves are sitting there and they're like, Yeah, we're gonna guilty. They're thinking. And now they ask the five million dollar lawyer for summation. And he gets up. And he looks at the jury and he says, so I know they wrote all kinds of articles that maybe I had a stroke or I maybe cracked up and maybe you're not happy with the way I defended my client, but I'm going to tell you why the whole week I didn't take this serious. You see, on Monday, the first day of the trial, I got a phone call from Mexico. You know, they never found the victim. They never found the girl dead. They found blood. They found screaming. They never found, you know why they never found the girl dead? Because she's not dead. She called me on Monday to tell me that she just ran away from her parents. And nobody ever murdered her. And I told her, you better get back to America because there's a guy on trial here that, you know, might end up going to jail for life. This is not a joke. We don't play jokes. You better get back here. And she told me she had problems with her passport and her tickets. But she told me that today, today, Friday, at 2 o'clock, she will be in this courtroom. So even though it's now only 12, I move that we wait Till she comes back and you realize that this whole case is ridiculous. So the judge says, wow, now I understand. I know you for years. I couldn't understand why you were making all these jokes. Okay, we'll have a recess till 2 o'clock. Everyone's mumbling and the poor people in the jury are like, oh my gosh, we were going to send him to jail. He was guilty. This girl never even got murdered. She's coming in. Fine. Two o'clock, everybody's back sitting down. New York Times, CBS, NBC, everybody's in the room. Girl's going to come back. And they're all sitting there and it's two o'clock. And it's 2.15. And nothing. And it's 2.30. And the back door opens up. Everybody jumps. She's here. No, it's not her. It's the clerk at 2.30. They change clerks. You know the ones that type? An old lady walks in. And they're like, whew. 2.45, 3 o'clock, nothing. The judge says, listen, I don't know what kind of game you're playing. If she comes, she comes. Summation now or contempt of court? It's no problem. And this $5 million lawyer, a ridiculous story, walks over to the jury, says, I want to ask you a question. Were you looking at the door from 2 o'clock to 3 o'clock? I was watching you, jury. You were all looking at the door, thinking that she might walk in. And when that lady opened the door at 2.30, you all jumped. Which means that you believed that it was possible that there was no victim. And the law in America is that you can't find someone guilty unless it's 100% beyond a reasonable doubt. If it was 100% beyond a reasonable doubt, what were you looking at the door for? Why did you jump? Means 
that my colleague over there, the DA, did not do a good job. He did not prove to you 100% that she was dead. And therefore, according to American law, you have to find her innocent. Brilliant! Brilliant! The judge mumbles underneath his breath. That's why they pay the man $5 million. Say, okay, jury, go into the room. And you know, you know what you got to find them. You thought she was coming through the door. I thought she was coming through the door. I guess the DA didn't prove what he had to prove. And they go into the room, and the news is going, next time he's going to get $10 million. He's Forget it, he's pulled it off. The guy could be guilty, he pulled it off. And half an hour later, they all come out. And the jury person gets up, and it's a true story, and the whole courtroom is in there, everyone's buzzing, and the guy's like, the politician's like, I'm, I'm, I'm free. And the jury person gets up and says, we the jury find so-and-so guilty of manslaughter in the first degree. And the place goes crazy. And the judge goes crazy. What are you talking about? We were looking at the door. You believed that she could come through. That means he didn't prove it. The jury person says, I would like to give it over to this young 21-year-old lady that's in our jury. She's the one that convinced us all that he's a murderer. So she gets up and all the, all the news people with their mics, like, and she says the following. She says, you know, while everybody was looking at the door, I was looking at the accused. He never turned around to look at the door. When that door opened, he didn't even turn around to see if it was her. Do you know why? Because he knew it couldn't be her. Because he killed her. Guilty! And the lawyer runs up to, to the politician. You idiot! If you would have turned around for one second and looked at the door, you'd be a free man! And sheepishly and quietly he says to the lawyer, why didn't you tell me what you were doing? Says the professor to all the students, coach the client. Tell him what you're going to do. Why am I telling you a story? If you're here for three days and you don't change and you don't turn and look at your own door, that means that you don't believe one word that you heard in the last three days. Because if you really believe what you heard, then you would turn around. And when I say turn around, I mean make a change. May we all be zaycha, may we all be zaycha to turn around and look at the door and see Mashiach ben David come through that door. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.